to yeah, disciple their children as God has commanded. I'm going to give another little plug for the, for the ladies' things that's coming up. Men, we have, we're going to continue on in our sermon series looking at uh, Luke's letter of God and what God has been doing in the church. I have been encouraged significantly by this. For me, uh, I've talked about this before, but I am often a pessimist. I struggle with that a lot. And it is amazing to see and be reminded every week that the word of the Lord continues to increase, regardless of whatever is happening. The word of the Lord continues to increase. But as you open your Bible to Acts chapter 15, I was reminded of my family because we like to argue all the time. In fact, it was so bad when we were first dating, my wife and I, Steph, were first dating a long time ago, like 20 years ago now. Like, it's weird when you can start talking decades, okay? <laughs> and multiple decades. I'm not that old. But she, I remember her saying very succinctly, why does your family never have any fun? Why can't they just laugh? And I said, oh, my dear, this is fun. <laughs> uh, this is a great time of us fighting. This is what we do. I think it has something to do with the Mennonite gene. I don't know. Um, I'm blaming it on that. Because it's not just my immediate family, but if you get my aunts and my uncles in there, if something like politics comes up, forget about it. <laughs> so there's things that we have to figure out. But at some point during the arguments, or uh, let's call it discussion, heated, lively, hand-moving discussion, of ups and downs, there comes a crossroads in there. Either you have changed someone's mind or you have to move on. Now, uh, Mennonites are incredibly stubborn, so there's no changing of minds. So that ultimately the answer is you move on. You agree to disagree. So what do you do when you can't ha be at eye to eye? What happens when you can't even reconcile the differences? What happens in a family when that happens? We see it all the time. Often it becomes a rift. We can't move on. And we see something very similar in Acts chapter 15. Pastor Matt last week talked about unity, about how the gospel brings us together. But what happens when there's something that can't, we just can't really move on on? We can't see. We have to remember what Paul and Barnabas' relationship was. They have just finished off the first missionary journey. God has done amazing things. God is calling people to himself. The word of the Lord is continuing to increase. God is doing great and marvelous things. And now you think that we're good to go, right? But Luke comes and he introduced to us this little quick little snippet that not everything is all rosy. Is a mission in jeopardy? How will God even use this? How can our disagreements affect Jesus' mission? And this is the beginning of what would be called Paul's second missionary journey. And what we will see is that even among devoted followers of Christ, disagreements and differing opinions can arise. Go nuts, right? We're a church, let's say there's about 150 people and there's probably 150 different opinions on things. Let's not talk about colors, right? This gives a challenge to maintain unity and a common purpose. So read along with me in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. The word of the Lord says this. 
And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take them, uh, take with them, sorry, John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded, com commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through sorry, Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the church. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray as we continue to worship our awesome God. Lord, we come together being reminded over and over again about your grace and your mercy. Lord, we just sung songs uh, as testimonies of how you have done great things. Lord, forgive us when we forget that you have done great things. Forgive us when we doubt that you will continue to do great things. And as we are reminded of those things as we open up your word together, I pray, Lord, that you are indeed glorified. And Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. And God, I can't do this on my own, so will you not make this turn out well? Help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Lord, please, I beg, use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all things. May I decrease, may you increase. May we decrease, may you increase. May you use this sermon to bring joy to your people. And Lord, salvation to the lost. In verses 36 to 39, we see the mission objective. And right there in 36, there's a mission that's been given. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Great, awesome, Barnabas is on board. Great idea. See, God has established these churches as Paul and Barnabas proclaimed the word of the Lord. They spoke it. They said it. And two questions come up for me when I look at this text. When does the proclamation of the word of the Lord start? And I was reminded about this not that long ago because I think we often go right into the proclamation without the preparation. I just rhymed and I didn't even know that. The preparation of the proclamation is the prayer. Over and over again, within the Acts, we see a church that prays. If we want to be a church that proclaims, we have to be a praying church. And you see that all over the place in Acts. You see that again right here. We need to be people that are on our face towards a holy God, knowing that he is the only one that can give a heart that enables someone to believe. If we're not praying, I don't know what's going to happen. So, well, I was reminded about these things. And we see it even later in here as the brothers and the sisters of this church commend the brothers to go forward. If you're a member of this church, we, we start our members' meetings in prayer. We, our members' meetings are saturated in prayer as we gather together for prayer. That's the purpose of our members' meetings, really. It's not just about portraying information, but coming together to pray. Because we're called to be a praying church. Our small groups spend time in prayer as they pray for one another and our church and the mission that God has sent us on. That's why on 
June 24th, we're having yet another time of prayer together in the afternoon because we're called to be a praying church. And what does God use to convict people of the sin? It's the proclamation of his word. We proclaim as people who have experienced the grace and the mercy of our awesome God, the good news of Jesus Christ. We proclaim it from the mountaintops that God is holy and that we have sinned against him. We have all lied. We cheated. We wanted something that wasn't ours. We've lusted. We've been malicious. We've been gossips. We've been divisive. We refuse to submit to godly leadership, whatever it may be. And because of that sin, we deserve hell. And oh, brothers and sisters, we need to understand deeply that hell is real. It is real, and it is deserved. Because we have sinned against the holy God. But the gospel is this, that God steps down from his throne to die on a Roman cross, the death that we as sinners deserve, so that we may have life. For everybody who repents and believes in Jesus Christ may have life. This is what we proclaim. And as we reflect upon it more and more, as we reflect upon God's holiness and his grace and his mercy that he has poured out on us, how does that not drive us out to declare that good news for people who need to be rescued? But let us start by being a people of prayer. And when God gives that person a heart that enables them to believe, our job isn't done with the proclamation, it's just beginning. Because you see, right here, we have the job of continuing to walk with them as we see here. Let us, as Paul says, let us return and visit the brothers and the sisters. There's more to being a faithful disciple who makes disciples of Jesus Christ than just preaching the gospel. It means walking with people. And believe it or not, the walking with people is probably the hardest because it's ongoing, it's every day. That's when you're getting into the muck of someone's life. That's when sometimes the muck gets flung at you. This was Paul's aim, to continue to nurture the seeds that have been planted. And I was reminded of this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 6. I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. But God brings people together to continue to nurture that growth through the constant teaching of his word, as you see right in the Great Commission. And what does that look like to walk with people? You know, our elders have been walking through in our elders meetings, Titus, because as a church, we're seeking to memorize Titus. And I would encourage you to do that. It's never too late to start. But we were looking at Titus 2, verses 1 to 5, and we see how God has called us to exemplify Christ in such a way that we can be an example to those around us. We see many examples throughout the Bible of the importance of walking with each other. See, our job as Christians doesn't stop at evangelism. It only begins. Because the hard work of walking with people begins as God calls people to himself through the proclamation of his word. And Paul and Barnabas understand the mission. Paul and Barnabas understand that the Great Commission doesn't stop at proclaiming the word, but the ongoing teaching. So they want to go back and encourage the church. And probably bring that letter with them. The one that was written by the church in Jerusalem, by the apostles. As it lays out what it truly means to be a Christian, what it truly means to be saved. That you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
These are the cornerstones of the Protestant church, right? Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. See, brothers and sisters, we are called to that same mission. But the question really is, are you one who is growing yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ so you can walk with others so that you can teach them also to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, verse 37, this is when the division begins to happen. We have the mission, but there's an issue. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. I'm going to call him John Mark from now on. Everything was good. All in agreement. Great plan, Paul, let's do this. Until Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark. Who is John Mark? He was with them in... He was with them on their first missionary journey. We see that in Acts 13, verse 13, which says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia in uh, Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And that's all we have. All we know is that he left. We don't know why John left Mark. But this is an issue with Paul, as we will see in the next verses. And this is the issue that may jeopardize the mission. This is the point of contention between Paul and Barnabas. This is the argument that they can't move beyond. This is the family argument that can't be resolved. They can't see eye to eye. And as we see in this next verse, Paul has an issue with this. As in verse 38, Paul thought best not to take with them the one that had left them stranded and had gone and hadn't been with them to complete the work. And that's the issue. Barnabas wanted to take Mark along, but Paul wanted, didn't want a quitter with him who had jumped ship before, who didn't finish what he started. And I think there's wisdom on both sides, really. And as we read this, I know I am. I'm guilty of taking sides in this one. But you notice that Luke doesn't? And I think that's a good point. Because when we start arguing about what side is better, we're missing the point of the text. Because Luke, who wrote this, didn't even talk about it. So there's this issue. Barmas giving another person a second chance is that not what Jesus did with all of us? For Paul, this is a small crew of people. We can't have people who aren't committed. I get it. It makes total sense. But what do, what do we think happens about this irreconcilable differences here? We know that Barnabas was an encouraging person, so... Was he being short-sighted in that? Was he being short-sighted in the thing that he was actually gifted to do? Maybe Paul thought John Mark wasn't ready because he had left them. Maybe he thought Mark couldn't be trusted to finish what he had started. Maybe Barnabas saw something in John Mark that Paul didn't. Maybe just like what Barnabas saw in Paul, right? Maybe neither were right. Maybe both are right. And that's the point. Luke doesn't tell us. So stop asking the question. Because we'll miss the point. There was a mission to go and visit the brothers and the sisters in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. 
All we know from this moment is that John Mark had left, and we don't know why, but we do know that Paul had an issue with it. And because of that, a sharp disagreement comes. As we see in verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement. Tempers were flared. There was an intense difference of opinion. The Greek actually puts something even stronger there than we have in the English. I couldn't imagine what this church was going through as two of their brothers, their leaders, were probably vocally fighting over this. And poor John Mark. You know, a couple of things we see here. This argument is bad. Why do disagreements happen? You know, uh, Ken Sander in his book, The Peacemaker, talks about this. Four reasons, he says. Differences of values, goals, gifts, callings, priorities, expectations, interests, or opinions. And he actually talks about this passage in his, in his book. The second one is, is misunderstandings arise from poor communication. For those who are married, we understand this. Number three, competition over limited resources, such as time or money. Four, sinful attitudes and habits that lead to sinful words and actions. Now, I want to be clear. This isn't a sinful issue. I don't, this is an issue of what is the best step to move forward. Paul wasn't nursing a grudge. Barnabas wasn't playing favorites because John Mark is actually his cousin. That's not the issue here. Again, the issue is the mission and how do we move forward. Paul thinks Mark needs a little bit of time to grow and Barnabas thinks an immediate second chance is worth the risk. The second thing that we see is that this disagreement doesn't get resolved ever as far as we can tell. This is an intense disagreement that jeopardized their friendship. And not only their friendship, but the mission that was just stated in verse 36. And sometimes disagreements among Christians seem to be out of control because they come from difference of experience, insight, or character. So the two split. Not over a point of doctrine, not a point of teaching, and definitely not a fundamental point. Chance. See, this situation is not different for, is not very different from, for you and I today. How many times have you worked with someone who just rubs you wrong? And I'd be honest. I know we're all like, we want, we're, we think we're perfect, right? I have a fair share. Not recently though, not in the last five years, okay? <laughs> Just to put that out there, before someone comes to me and does some snarky comment to me. I know, not Peter. <laughs> I think you and I, and as we think about this, need to challenge each other with being a little bit more transparent, though, and ask this question. Could it be that it's our personality that is a source of irritation? For example, you know, Nolwood as a church, we're a multi-staff church. What this means is that there needs to be an implementation of grace that is founded in the gospel. How has our perfect God been gracious to you? Should we not be the same with those around us? Our kids program is led by teams. We have a team down there right now. But in those teams, there's different people with different ways of doing things. 
Maybe you're not really the, you, you think your teaching is better than their teaching style or whatever it may be. But it may require patience and a little bit more of a peacemaking attitude. Maybe it's you who has the different idea of how church, member is, church membership is in accordance with the leadership. Maybe it's a different idea of how things should look in the building. Whatever the situation is, the cross of Jesus inspires us to have such an attitude of grace founded in the gospel. And here's the point. Our labor is not for ourselves. It is not. It is for Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead for you. He justified us by his blood. Is nothing but the blood. The gospel has an impact not just on your life last year or 50 years ago. The gospel has an impact on your life here and now. See, remember, Luke doesn't focus on the reasons for the argument and whose side was right or the outcome because that's not the point. The point is the gospel. It's always God. It's always about the labor for Jesus. And I see this in, in uh, the brief couple times I've been in the mission field for brief, brief amounts of time. You see this all the time in the mission field. See, here in North America, we fight over the most dumbest things. If you go into a foreign country, all you got is your brother and sister who professes Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you quickly begin to realize that whatever that third tier issue that you're fighting tooth and nail about here in North America does not matter in the other part of the world because the mission matters. Can Paul and Barnabas dispute hinder the work of the gospel? And we see that in verses 40 to 41. The mission begins to get a little bit jeopardized. Even though it may look like the mission is jeopardized though, God is sovereign. He is providential. And he does something amazing because he does great things. You know what that amazing thing is? Even in our sinfulness, the word of the Lord continues to increase. Out of a disagreement, the work is actually not hindered. The work is doubled, as we see here. Barnabas goes to the church in Cyprus, and he does exactly what the mission is, to encourage the church to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes to the churches in Syria and Sicily, and, and then goes to Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and God uses them both to do a significant ministry. So in verse 40, we see Paul chooses Silas, and he departs. And this is actually a great partnership. What's neat about this is that Silas was one of the messengers that was sent from the church in Jerusalem to address the issue of circumcision within the church and answering that question, do, do people need to do something in order to be saved? And he was the one of the letter carriers. In verse 32, Silas is called an encourager and one who strengthened the brothers and the sisters. I love Paul, but when I read the letters, he's not exactly the most encouraging person all the time. So this was a great partnership. He lost Barnabas, who was an encourager, and gained another one. 
God provided someone who would be a good partner with them. And having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, we have two leaders within the church disagreeing with each other to the point that they would separate. And it would have been easy to make an assumption that there may have been division within this local church. I think that would be an easy uh, observation over this issue. Maybe two camps could have formed But what we see is that Paul and Barnabas were commended by the brothers and the sisters of the whole church to go out. See, what is the church's response to this issue? To pray and to send. What is the church's response to the dispute? To pray and to send. Not to sit around and gossip. Not to draw lines, not to be united in another camp, but to pray. Over and over again, we see a church that is a praying church. They're coming together to pray, which is submission to the will of God. And what was God's will? The gospel to go forth. And sometimes we pray according to what we want rather than what God's will is. We pray, Lord, I really hope that so-and-so will see it my way. Yeah, you're all laughing because you know you do it. I do it. But rather than saying, Lord, I pray that you will be done, what your will, sorry, praying that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let this first start with me. See, do you see where evangelism begins? It begins with the church praying. And that's why we do these things throughout our church while we have purposeful times of prayers, why our services is full of prayer. And we pray big, bold prayers. This is what we should be as a church. And the outcome is ascending church. The mission is not hindered. In verse 41, we see this again. And he went through Caesarea and Sicilia and, and strengthening the church. You know, one commentary put it this way about how Paul and Silas could have been spreading a, uh, could have been following the false gospel. So you remember back when, uh, in, earlier in Acts chapter 15, this is a response to false teachers coming from Jerusalem and saying, hey, yeah, you, you can be saved by grace, but hey, you need to do something else. It's called circumcision, so let's do this. But they didn't stop there. They continued to move on. And we sometimes, some people think, maybe Paul and Silas were following them with this letter saying, no, this is not true. Because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But God uses what looks like a setback to accomplish his purpose. The mission is to bring the message about Jesus to the nations. So what does this mean for us? And this is going to take a little bit longer. But like a classic family debate, Paul and Barnabas hit a crossroads. Either they would go together down one road or go their own separate ways. And this was a dispute that would divide once close friends. And remember, Paul doesn't, or sorry, Luke does not tell us who is right. Because it's not the point. The point is that we see a sovereign God who uses even this to further his word. But there are lessons that we can learn as a church that we can apply to our lives. Because here we see an example of how God is providential and as he uses a dispute to double the work, not allowing it to stop, but to continue to be a wildfire. We won't know 
who is right in this disagreement. We just know there was one that could jeopardize a mission. But the disagreement was overruled by good, for good. There won't be one missionary journey, there won't be one pastoral trip anymore, but two. Barnabas takes Mark and went back to his home island to evangelize and to make disciples. Paul takes Silas and continues to proclaim the gospel and encourage the church, and God does great and amazing things. And churches are being planted all the way from Spain and all through Asia Minor because of this. See, the work of reaching the world with the gospel should never be hindered by our disagreements. But even as they went their separate ways, the missions stayed the same. Their identity wasn't in the side that was taken, but in the gospel. The mission takes priority over the disputes. Paul and Barnabas' disagreement didn't dictate who they were. They didn't become church planters of the first Baptist church or the one who had Mark's back. Or the first Baptist church or the one who thought Mark can't be trusted. There was one church. They both went with the blessings of the church to accomplish the mission of Jesus and his power because the work of reaching the world with the gospel should never be hindered by our disagreements. Because if there truly is only one gospel and one kingdom, that should unite us, not separate us. The church is challenged to maintain unity in a common purpose that is rooted in the gospel. Regardless of our thoughts on the subject, if we believe the gospel, we can move beyond our disagreements to a common goal. And what we have seen is that even among followers of Christ, there can be disagreements. But it doesn't mean that God can't even use that. Let us maintain the unity in common. There's this great book called Knowing What Hills to Die On. I used, when I was younger, I loved just dying on every hill. I don't know why. Sucker for punishment, I guess. But there's a lot of wisdom in that. Being able to understand what is worth dying for. Sometimes I wonder in North America, especially in Canada, if we're just so bored that we think we can have time to die on every hill. Like we're so distracted by the mission and not doing the mission that we're focusing on everything else but the one thing we've been called to go do. In 1689, a bunch of Baptists got together and wrote this book. And there's actually something in there that talks about the communion of the saints. And it's a beautiful thing because it talks about how the gospel unites us in Jesus Christ because he is our head. It unites us in in Jesus' grace and suffering, his death and his resurrection, his glory. And because we are united, we are united in our love for one another. And Paul and Barnabas continue to love one another, and we'll get into that. And we can use our gifts and our graces that we are obligated to use for our mutual good. I use the word obligated on purpose because it's a command. Able not to only give of ourselves, but also receive gifts from our brothers and sisters. We were talking about this in our men's group on how easy it is to give things. But you know what the true test of humility is? Receiving. The gospel brings us together in an obligation of holy fellowship and communion as we worship our awesome God. 
who saved us from the pits of hell as we seek to promote our mutual edification. The gospel enables us to help each other in material things according to each other's and our, and our ability to do it. The gospel also directs us to provide to other churches, as we've seen so far with Antioch giving resources to Jerusalem. As a church, we've experienced this. I pray one day we can do the same. I do pray, pray with me on those, that God would bless us in such a way that we can help. And it's not because of pity, it's not because of some sort of malicious intent from another group of people, it's because of the gospel. And we won't let third tier issues hinder the mission. And that's more, uh, and that's more the case in this, amongst this place, this church. To be united in anything else but the gospel is to bring disunity within the church. If you're one of those people who's uniting with people with what you're against, I would challenge you to come back to God's word and see what it says. Churches can spend a lot of time fighting over stupid things and losing sight of the more important, that there are people going to hell. There's people going to hell. And we're quivering about what color the carpet could be. We're not, if you're new. Carpet's done. And it's gray, not blue, because I said so. <laughs> but imagine what would have happened if Paul and Barnabas took all of their energy in trying to gather a group of people to their side rather than going out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and encouraging the church and building it up. This, this is what the, the issues of differing opinions and non-doctrinal issues are important. For us, it would be wise to make sure we won't, uh, we won't be the ones causing disunity by focusing on issues that are not issues of the gospel. But remember the cross of Jesus that inspires us to have such an attitude of grace that is founded in the gospel. Our labor is not for ourselves it is for the one who died and rose again to justify us and to free us from the chains of sin and hell. We need to keep this in mind. And how do we navigate these things? Al Mohler talks about this uh, as a theological triage. If I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, someone's going to correct me after, I'm sure. But triage is actually a French word that came out of World War I where they're trying to determine how to care for people who were in war. Which one was more important? Which one could wait a little bit? They're all important. But in some cases, if someone is, has an artery bleed, that needs to be taken care of right away over somebody who bumped their head. You know, there's the first order of doctrines. These are the essentials. These are the non-negotiable. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is when we talk about what is central for salvation. These are things of the deity of Christ and the Trinity, the atonement and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Disagreeing on these things, I would challenge you on your faith. There's those second-order differences in doctrine, sorry. These are important beliefs, but this is why we have different churches. Someone says to me, why are there so many different types of churches? 
This is why. Because as a Baptist church, we believe in what's called believer's baptism. But our Presbyterian brothers and sisters think it's okay to dunk babies. And I use the word brothers and sisters on purpose. These are second-order doctrines, often very different among different types of groups, like how we govern ourselves or molds of baptisms. But then we get into those third orders, which means that as a church, we can be together with these third-order doctrines. These are theological differences and beliefs that are less important. They don't matter for salvation. They don't matter to how we work together as a church. And our problem as a church, churches often, is that when we take these third-tier issues and make them first-tier, right? These are issues like theonomy or our idea of church and state or, I don't know, how Jesus is coming back. Did you know? I, we, we have fun in our elders' meetings, by the way. Um, that if you were to ask any one of our elders, you, you'll and ask all of us, actually, you'll probably get four different views of how Jesus is coming back. For the record, three of them are wrong and mine is right. (laughs) (laughs) Peter's staring at me. (laughs) But but that's a joke. We could do that because we understand what first, second, and third issues are. We're brothers. We can get together and we can argue about these things because we understand what is important. And I think at some point we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of what Paul and Barnabas are talking about here. Even though they separate, maybe they start two different churches, they're still on the same mission. They're still praying for each other. They're still encouraging each other. And you might ask yourself, Pastor, how do you know this? How do I know that? Because I see back in about 10 years later in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, I see the name Mark again. If you have your Bible, flip over to the Gospel of Mark. That is written by John Mark. See, these are amazing things that we need to be true. Later, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.11, he describes John Mark as the one he thought was an abander, a quitter, as someone who is useful for me in ministry. We look at Philemon, where Paul again describes Mark as a fellow worker. With all of this disagreement, there's something we see. No Christian is beyond recovery either. No matter how bad the fall may be, there is a road back to usefulness. Mark Mark didn't have to live a life out of being cursed and a doomed life. He wasn't cursed to never know the smile of God. And I want you to think about this because you're going to mess up. And if you think you haven't, you need to repent of that and move on. Because we're all going to mess up. And some of us in huge ways. But for those who are in Christ, there's always a way back. It's going to be hard. You might have to eat crow, whatever it may be. But there's always a way back. And again, we don't know if there was reconciliation, but I do see that God worked within the situation. The theological and missional missional unity of the church is maintained by both of these men, and it's an amazing display of God's providence. And as Pastor Matt pointed out last week, 
It is the gospel that unites. And I pray that we can be a a gospel-preaching church. Yes, we have third-tier issues. That's never going to go away. But if our eyes are on the gospel, the mission will never be hindered. We can go forward in that. We have brothers and sisters in London who belong to other churches. You have your AGC, GCC, FEB, and every other three-letter denomination that get together. There's a pastor fellowship that gets together of all these different churches from different denominations. And we, let me tell you, they're all wrong in how they do stuff. That's okay. I'm, I'm being facetious if you haven't, like, I'm sarcastic here. But we love Christ. We love Jesus. We pray for them on a Sunday. We pray that God would bless them on a Sunday because of the mission of Jesus Christ. And even when we are differing in our viewpoints, we can still pray for one another and hope the best for one another. And how much more should that be here in this church who, who, with us who are members here. When people come in, they should see something different. The people that are in love. The work of reaching the world with the gospel should never be hindered by our disagreements. See, the work is too important for petty disagreements. Can we agree on that? Churches can spend time fighting over some of the, like, guys, I, I grew up in the church. Like, I, I, I've I've seen it all, color, paint, whatever. And that always happens when we lose sight of the gospel, always. When we lose sight of something that is more important, that there are people going to hell and we have the message of hope. Our labor is not for ourselves. It is for him who died for us and rose for our justification. So the work of reaching the world with the gospel should never be hindered by our disagreements. Let us pray. Awesome God, we just thank you for the chance to be reminded of who you are. As I've been thinking through this passage, uh, forgive me of those things that I have made third tier into first tier situations or doctrines. Lord, I pray that you would convict us here in this church. If there are things that we are fixated upon that are third tier, Lord, I pray that, and 